Ladies and gentlemen, it's 2008. The financial crisis is just around the corner. But for one brief shining moment, we get to turn our attention to Gotham City and the plague that is the Joker. On Raven Bat, we will be discussing the Dark Knight. I'm Natalie Bohensky, I should probably say that. It's 2022. We're getting back into our Raven Bat, Raven on subsection Batman review podcast recap thingy. And with me, as always, to discuss the minutia of this film is a man who is not the hero that the Raven Bat podcast <laughs> needs. But damn it, he's the hero we deserve. It's Stuart Late. Thank you, Natalie. Hello, Natalie. Hello, everyone. Yes, I was wondering which um, quote you were going to insert me into in that particular one. It was either that or he's going to make something disappear, make a pencil disappear. Sure, yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, that's what I should have said. I should have said the last time he made a pencil disappear, someone called the cops on him. No, wait, that's not sexual. No, the last... <laughs> The last time he made a pencil disappear, he had to go to hospital and get embarrassing x-rays. Uh, <laughs> there, we found uh, it. Excellent. See, that's what I should have said. If everyone can go. just edit in your own head, put that intro back in, we'll be cracking. How are you going, Stu? I'm, I'm doing very well, Natalie. Uh, I am still on holidays, uh, weirdly. Uh, which been at the beach. Is, been at the yes, beach. Yes, I, I spent all day at the beach, and now I'm going to come back and talk about a harrowing tale of, of uh, the war on terror. Sure. <laughs> It's been a weird, it's been a weird whiplash of a day. Well, we are not alone in the universe or indeed in this podcast. And uh, <laughs> we have been threatening this for a while, but we're bringing on a guest. Uh, we, we haven't heard from him in a while because of his steadfast refusal to watch any more Chris Chibnall, Doctor Who. Please welcome from the Smart Enough to Know Better podcast, <laughs> it's Dan Beeston. Hello, hello. Oh, I'm so super excited to be on. Are you? Are you excited I, because you I, love this film, Dan? I'm super excited. Because the other episodes that I've been on, they have all been like terrible episodes of Doctor Who or The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy film or episode one of The Watch, which was so unliked that Natalie didn't even bother releasing the podcast yes, yes, recording. That's right. Finally, <laughs> I'm got- on Raven On for something that almost everyone can agree is not only good, but is the greatest Batman film of all time. And? I didn't care for it, Nat. <laughs> Didn't care for it. So this is the thing. Dan has a habit, I don't know, a, tre- a trend, a, tend- a tendency to not like things that the vast majority of people really enjoy. Well, that's uh, an insane thing to say. Uh, Everyone loves the Iron Giant. That's true. <laughs> that is true. Uh, I Everyone don't likes any- Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. I've not Everyone seen Everyone likes it. Fight Club. Yeah. I mean, particularly if you're a man, I guess. Sorry, that's saying... Just when it came out, it, it was a very blokey movie. No, I think you've hit the nail on the head right there. I think there's there are certain, there's a certain target demographic for that film. <laughs> well, can I can I clarify that? Some I think it's maybe a lot of men liked it for the wrong reasons, as in they thought oh, they a lot of people missed the social satire. Yes, a lot of people are idiots. Not listeners to Raven on. They are not idiots. They're here. Look, yeah, I reckon a good fifty percent of them are like like <laughs> the lot the uh, less than average. So far um, as listeners to your podcast in intelligence. Less than average. Yes. A half of the, your listeners are less than average on the medium of intelligent listeners who listen to your podcast. Well, that's enough from Dan. So, Stu, <laughs> let's just get back to... Can I just say, this is absolutely wild that a, a guest comes on a podcast and basically says that half the listeners are dipshits. It's great. I love it. <laughs> it is such a power move, Dan. It's average. incredible. 
mathematically that's correct. <laughs> Out of your listeners, half of them are the, are the dumb half. <laughs> you can't it's like, a, it's like a whole Bilbo Baggins, like, uh, Liberty um, First Birthday thing. Like, I, less, I like less than half of you, half as well as you deserve. <laughs> well, that sounds pretty nerdy. I know. Well, <laughs> that sounds pretty nerdy. Let's talk about Batman. <laughs> No, but this is where Batman got cool, this uh, Christopher Nolan series. No, 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 I'll, I'll stop you there. Batman has always been cool. Yeah, okay, sorry. Um, <laughs> gritty cool, I guess. Sure, Bat- yes. You know, look, I love the Adam West dodgy Batman and I love the Michael Keaton, Val Kilmer, George Clooney, incredibly campy Batman. Yes. But this is where, this is where Batman got super serious. And it certainly did. Something about social commentary or something, something. Something that always does surprise me about this movie, every time I rewatch it, is that there is actually a lot of humor in here. There's a lot of jokes. There's a lot of there's a lot of moments of levity. Are there, <laughs> Are there a we're, lot of them? We're starting We're playing a lot of them. I don't know whether there's a lot of them. There are moments of levity. There, there, are, there, are, there are some moments of levity in the film. They're there's- dark. This is so, true. Now, I'm trying to think of the best way to tackle this because obviously Dan's going Why to Why don't I just out. take over for a bit? Do you want to do, <laughs> do you, wait, Dan, do you have an introductory declarative statement that you've typed out and printed out? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> of course I do. That's, that's why we brought you on. Yeah. Okay. Stu and I have done our minute challenge. Yeah, we just, you get, that can wait. Let's, let's turn the mics <laughs> to Dan as our guest because we're, we're basing on the judgment that, Stu, you really like this film, yeah? I'm in the pocket for this movie, Natalie. Yes, absolutely. I enjoyed this film very much. Certainly thought it was a lot better than The Dark Knight Rises. Dan, where do you stand? Lay it out for us. Look, I saw this initially when it came out at the El Dorado 8 cinema, and I walked out thinking it had been a bit dour and a bit dull. (laughs) I didn't notice any plot inconsistencies. I just found it average. And look, there are lots of average films. This just felt like one of them. And it's so long. (laughs) It's like four and a half hours long. It's giving Thunderball a run for its money. Yeah. Admittedly, some of that time was pausing and then adding to my manifest, uh, my thesis, my <laughs> film thesis. But I have something big to say. Right. The Joker. Yes. Batman's iconic villain mm-hmm. is not a good character. Do you mean in this movie or in, in general? In, in general. Wow. Yeah. That- <laughs> I mean, I Stu's out. I think Stu's gone. Let's. <laughs> Let's look at some great movie villains, shall we? Oh, Jesus Christ. Okay. Hans Gruber, he wants his plan to play out with no concern for casualties and to live on a beach enjoying his wealth. Mm-hmm. A predator, he wants to prove his worth as a hunter by collecting the skulls of only armed combatants. Jaws, she just wants to eat. T-Rex, she wants to hunt. The Tornado in Twister, she wants to lift stuff off the ground. And if some of those items include Bill Pullman and Helen Hunt, so much the better. (laughs) They know what they want. We know what they want. Mm. We're invested in their plan and there are stakes for the protagonist. I was very invested in the Twister from Twister. That's true. The Joker, what does he want? Who the fuck knows? (laughs) Roll a fucking Um. dice from scene to scene. That's no, the no, problem this, this with movie... an anarchist. Shut up, shush. <laughs> okay, all right. That's the problem with an anarchist. They want anarchy, they want chaos, but from a narrative standpoint, there's nothing interesting about chaos. Good characters want something, and the Joker doesn't want anything. 
He will constantly say that he wants something. And then when deprived of it, he just goes, oh, whatever. I didn't really want it in the first place. He is every anti-vaxxer you've ever (laughs) tried to make a valid point to. He's the most uninteresting character ever written. When you have a character who is an anarchist, you don't have a story. What you have is a bunch of levels in a video game. He's stealing money. He wants Batman dead. He wants Batman alive. He wants to kill Harvey Dent. He doesn't want the money. He wants to escape. He wants to get caught. Do you know, Stu, how many insane plans the Joker has in this movie? Do you know how how often he changes his mind in this film? I made a list. I made a list of everything the Joker does in this film that is completely unrelated to what he wants in every other scene just to see how much he jumps around. Take a guess, Stu and Nat. I will argue terms with you once you're finished because I think the Joker does have a very clear plan. room to. But but having having said that, to take you on your own terms, what was the question? Like how many plans does the Joker have? How many insane plans does the Joker have? I mean, I don't know exactly the criteria that you're going with here, but I mean, let's let's good, say ten. Good, good, let's good say ten. You on the back foot. <laughs> I was going to say maybe fifteen. It's two. What? Okay. I was surprised too. <laughs> Everything the Joker does in this film is to meet two goals, and those two goals are intrinsically intertwined. Mm-hmm. The Joker wants a to be better than the people he sees as worse than him, or the criminals. And he also wants to corrupt everyone else. And every move that he makes is in service to those goals. Sure, I can I can get on board with that. And I thought, well, if I'm wrong about that, what else am I wrong about? <laughs> because when I saw it in the cinema all those years ago, I was passively watching a dummy superhero film. But this time, I was actively watching it so that I could tear both it and you down, <laughs> Stu. <laughs> But in actively watching this film, I realized something. This isn't Batman versus the Joker. That's not what this film is. This film is all about the tragic fall of Harvey Dent. Mm. Yes. And when I watched it through that that lens, I realized this film is actually a lot better than I initially thought. (gasps) Oh, okay. This is a twist. Oh, what a twist. Heaven forbid I won't be watching it again. But I was pleasantly (laughs) surprised. I can certainly agree that watching it again, for me, the big focus was Harvey Dent this time. I just sort of sort of forgotten how good looking Aaron Eckhart was in this role, and um, I mean, good, like good, <laughs> as it, he he they really went hard with the White Knight Dark Knight parallels, and I didn't, you know, obviously pick up on it as much at the time, or maybe I did and I just forgot. But yeah, the the tragedy that he he for three quarters of the film he's such a great character, and he's charming and funny and brave and all that sort of stuff, and then he goes mad because the Joker pushes him to it, so. It kind of shows that the Joker is right some of the time. Well, I would I would argue that the the film ultimately lands on the idea that the Joker is wrong. But having said that, he achieves his goal, which is to tear down the symbol of hope that is Harvey Dent. Yes, and you can also I mean there, there's a reading of the film that even though it's a Batman film, you could say that like Harvey Dent is the tragic hero of, of the movie, and that if you sort of set it up as sort of a people put Batman and the Joker as, as diametrically opposed opposites, and they are in this movie, but 
it's more that the Joker represents complete lawless chaos. And on the other end of that spectrum is, is not Batman, but Harvey Dent. Mm. Because Harvey Dent is is law. He's law and order. Yeah, and in the middle is Batman desperately trying to keep everything together. Yes. The tension between doing good, following the letter of the law, and doing mm. good and breaking the law. That's the yeah, difference exactly. between Harvey Dent and, and uh, the tension between Harvey Dent and, and Batman. Obviously, Commissioner Gordon having to make those kind of moral grey choices too about, mm. well, I wouldn't know anything about that. Policy is to kill the Batman or capture the Batman. Oh, he's a criminal. But actually, I'm going to go meet him on a rooftop for secret assignations. Um. <laughs> it's very confusing messaging. Like, <laughs> from my point of view, the thesis of this film is that any person can choose between making a moral choice or a pragmatic choice. And Batman mm. is all about pragmatic choices. In this, it's, it's quite obvious that he knows that he is not the moral character and he knows that Harvey Dent is. And he doesn't use guns and he doesn't kill people, but he does hack everyone's phones which is pretty awful. Yeah, that's true. And then Morgan Freeman is like, well, no, that's pretty awful. But then he does it anyway. And the film's like, oh, no, he's a good dude because he only he only did that horrible thing once. <laughs> <laughs> and all the corrupt cops are mostly cops who make pragmatic decisions over moral ones. It's always like, oh, my sister's in the hospital and that's mm. why I did this terrible thing. Yeah. So you get Harvey Dent, who's put forward as the moral option but he has no problem supporting a vigilante and also giving the go-ahead to Batman to commit crimes in order to recover Lau. Yes. Well, I gosh, I'd forgotten because I watched that bit uh, in my first sitting of the film. Uh, <laughs> Several days like a, ago. Yeah. No, <laughs> that's not true. It was yesterday as we record and then finish the rest of it today. I almost have forgotten that that was, it's like there's two different movies almost. I mean, there's not, but the movie's so long that by the time it gets to the end, you sort of forget, oh yeah, that's right. Batman did like an illegal person retrievage from retrievage, retrieval. Well, I would, I would argue that's kind of a feature rather than a bug because it starts with the status quo of Batman working with the cops to dismantle the mob and it well, finishes with battles between supervillains. But the Scarecrow was in there too at the start, briefly. Yeah, no, he was. He was, but he was fitting into that mob ecosystem. But oh, but he right. was a harbinger of, of things to come. In this movie's like timeline, he was one of the first like supervillains who were out there and operating. Yes. And because he's like lower level, he's just sort of fitting into the current ecosystem. But things are changing, you know, and, and we we see that. And we by the end we have, you know, it's moved so far beyond the initial crime caper story that it started out as. It's quite a clever way of upping the stakes where you're like, mm. oh, here's the big bad from the previous film. He's now just a low-level dude. Yeah, exactly. And he'll show up in. again in the next movie. I love that Jonathan Crane just sort of is one of the supporting players throughout the trilogy. It's quite it's quite cool. So, Dan, have you finished your manifesto? Yeah, it's, it's a thesis. <laughs> It's not a manifesto. It's just written in very tiny spidery handwriting. How do you get it all on one page? (laughs) The Joker's a villain because he assumes every person will make a pragmatic decision depending on their situation. Mm. And he is mostly right in this film. Yeah, he really is. And Two-Face is a villain because he absolves himself from making decisions. Yes. Yeah, 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 absolutely. yeah, true. But he's got a double-headed coin. So how does he, you know... No, no, I mean, he, his, his flip from good guy to bad guy happens when he stops pretending to leave things up to chance and starts leaving things up to chance, when he, when he removes his own decision-making from the process. 
But isn't his coin a double-headed coin? Yes, but, but then it becomes coin. it becomes the 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 one side becomes scarlet. Oh, if you didn't, oh yeah, if you didn't pick up on that, oh. there were probably certain elements. You, you would have had a very different reading of what was happening. Oh right, okay. Yes, yes. So, 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 a- so, yes, you're right. His his coin was double-headed. So as he says, he makes his own luck because he's yes. not leaving it up to chance. He's just making everyone seem Think, like it is. Yes, but he's actually very calculating and very deliberate in the, in the choices that he's making until he goes through all that trauma and then he takes his hand off the wheel and says, "Well, life's not fair, so let's leave it up to chance." Mm-hmm. And the coin is damaged on one side. That makes from sense. The explosion, like he is. I yeah. see now. It's like mm. symbolism. Mm. Indeed. Mm. <laughs> well, should we do our minute challenge then? We can. Do, do we want to? Um, I don't think we've had Dan on for Raven Bat. So, did we want to dive oh, in yeah, quickly um, just onto, uh, you know, your history with Batman, Dan? I don't like Batman. <laughs> like, like I like I like Superman. I like Spider Man. I like fun, exciting, upbeat stuff like that. So, sure. Batman was always a bit crotchety. Right. Like maybe the 60s one was like a little bit of fun, but it's really dour. And and this movie, it just they just go straight down. I mean, that's what that's what DC stands for, right? Dour content? Yeah, sure. <laughs> it certainly does nowadays. There's, there's, there's very little levity. But the problem with this film is that when you take away all the levity and you make it really grounded, if you're taking it that seriously, then you're inviting all this logic to the party. Sure. If there's a sea base and a sky rail, then you can forgive little plot inconsistencies <laughs> and character things a little bit more. But if you're trying to make something grounded, then every little plot hole just lets all this water in and you start inviting real world concerns. And the whole conceit of Batman is a law breaking vigilante being the good guy. That all falls apart. Like every sketch that you've ever watched about Batman maybe putting some of that money towards like schools rather than punching the mentally ill suddenly that becomes like a real thing yeah and they do kind of address those problems in the film i was going to say like like the 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 great strength of this film is that it does kind of dig into that a little bit like that's kind of one of its motivating factors Mm. but then he's still the hero at the end and the resolution of the film is that people need to pretend moral decisions are best whilst benefiting from the pragmatic ones so there is no moral solution you'll just have to rely on batman to punch people (laughs) You'll, but but you'll just have to rely on Batman being the bad guy for a while so everyone can sort of hate someone. I think he's actually the bad guy. Well, <laughs> that is very debatable. It's <laughs> certainly what he makes people like making Lucius take part in his sonar experiment, although it does give him the opportunity to rock the full-on glowing Batman eyes, which I'd forgotten about that I think Stu pointed out when we did um, the animated yes, Mask yeah, of the Phantasm and he has the glowing eyes and I think Stu mentioned that, oh, you know, in Dark Knight he gets them and I'd forgotten. So it was like, oh, he's got, you know, sonar like a submarine. Like a submarine, like Mr. A Wayne. submarine, Mr. Wayne. Well, should we go then to our minute challenge if we've, you know, heard enough from Dan about how he's never really liked Batman? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, look, I mean, fact, I, I love the 1988 He's, he's never like Batman and half our listeners are idiots. So, I mean, he's coming in strong, coming in hot. That is what I'd call hashtag classic Dan. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Dan, you were going to say something. I like the 1988 one, the Burton one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it was sort of dark but also silly and comic booky. Hmm. And I was also the right age to really enjoy watching Batman yes. just killing a bunch of people. Sure. <laughs> he really did. <laughs> just really just blowing them into pieces. Blowing them, shooting them, dropping them off buildings. Yeah. He's a hero. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he ever sh- 
shot anyone with a gun. I think that's sort of a weird thing that, the, you know, we even see in this movie where he, he pulls a gun off someone and then just totally dismantles it. While in in one of the most badass things I've ever seen committed to celluloid. Does he, he, he doesn't he doesn't hold does he a gun break it, does he? shoot anyone in a film, but he does have machine guns on his vehicle. This is what I mean. Is. But but if you can imagine, they're sort of removed, you know? He doesn't walk up to someone and like, you know, like the Joker does and hold guns to their foreheads and things like that. Mm. Yeah. That's the sort of justification of it wasn't the punch that killed him, it was yeah. the concussion. Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> that's exactly what I'm saying. It's the equivalent of I'm just going to walk over here doing this with my arms and if you're in the way, then it's your fault. Mm. And again, if you've got like 60 story high gothic statues and like roller coasters all around the city, that punching someone and then being okay afterwards is fine. But if it's really grounded like this, you're like, oh, all those dudes are dead. They're so dead. <laughs> at, the, at the very least maimed. Oh, they, they, have, they have lingering chronic injuries for the rest of their lives. Like there's no medical insurance for like the criminal underworld. Those people are doomed. <laughs> These are all mentally ill people who have been taken advantage of by the Joker. They, they won't be able to afford their medication anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the, the Wayne Foundation steps in there. I don't know. I don't like Bruce Wayne. <laughs> He's a wanker. This Bruce Wayne seems like a union buster. <laughs> well, he does fall asleep in meetings. He doesn't treat Rachel very well at all. And he tu- No, we, he just turns up to his party with three chicks in a helicopter. It's only three. Could have been a lot more. Oh, no, then, then he takes the whole Moscow ballet to somewhere. And when he's Batman, he's always leaving the room when someone's talking to him. <laughs> he's like hanging up the phone without saying goodbye. Who does that? He is the king of ghosting. Uh, it's he, true. He is, Batman is the king of ghosting. I'd, actually, that's a good sketch, just like someone having a party. It's like, oh, my friend Batman, oh, he's gone. And it's just every time. The Irish goodbye. <laughs> I've read that described too as the French goodbye as well, and I think it's – I think it's it depends a case where of, you come from. This is what I mean. I think it's like it depends syphilis. on which ethnicity you want to slur. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think it's just... like syphilis because syphilis is like that too. Like the English called it the French disease, and the French called it the Neapolitan disease, and the Neapolitan Italians called it the Spanish tickle or something, or the Spanish itch. And yes, I was watching a YouTube documentary about syphilis the other day. What <laughs> of it? It's, just, it's the Christmas New Year period. The, the content, <laughs> sure. is, the content we, is slow. And I'm we, like, all, we all go down rabbit holes. No, yeah, it's fine. It's down rabbit holes. It's oh, that's how I got my case, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dan, all you need to do is dip it in some mercury. That's the time-honoured cure, and you'll be right as rain. Wonderful, wonderful. Whole interesting host so whose turn diseases. is it to do a their minute challenge first? I actually think it's me because hey, off think, you go then. And I'm going to claim it and, and do it because girl power. Like, Go for it. Yeah, it's 2022 and I'm not here to have sexual intercourse with arachnids. Um, <laughs> so, that, that's over in the Spider-Man franchise. Yeah, sorry. Well, why so serious was my first note. Sure, Because I think sure. that the big... Strong, strong the, opening. Yeah, thank you, thank you. I think the spectre of Heath Ledger and his sad, sad, untimely death hangs yeah. so much over this film because he is... You know, whatever you want to argue about the character of the Joker and how it's written and the aims and goals of the characters, there's no denying that he put in a freaking amazing unhinged performance and mm. rightly won a... That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> and won a, a posthumous uh, Best Supporting Actor for that, which I was reading was the first time anyone has won an Oscar for playing a superhero character or a supervillain or a comic book character. 
So there you go. Yeah, that sounds right. I I, I know that um, it was it was a, a almost a, a triple edged sword for him because it not only was he having to portray the Joker, but he was ha- he was in the shadow of Jack Nicholson's Joker, basically, which loomed mm. large over pop culture and the Batman franchise specifically. So he well, really had to. Romero, Ramirez. <laughs> well, yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. How do you outdo him? <laughs> sure. Well, I think it was, it was an iconic performance. It was definitely a good call to make him younger because obviously Jack Nicholson's Joker is one Yeah, ca- canonically and visually like an older, older sort of guy. Older yeah. dude, you know, 50s or something like that. So having him being young but a bit indistinct, he could be 20, he could be 40 because of the, you know, the facial deformities and whatever, but having him in that kind of physical prime and he seems to mm. withstand a whole freaking lot in this film <laughs> yes yeah yeah well i mean have you, have you guys heard the the fan theory as to who the joker is in this movie i have not so it's fascinating oh, and it ties is it in- james bond's stepbrother <laughs> <laughs> no that's the other fan theory that's the other fan theory okay. but um no i which i find really interesting and i don't i it doesn't you don't have to buy into this to sort of enjoy the film or not enjoy it as the case may be but the idea is that he's an iraq war veteran right right? so and and that he was injured in iraq came home and basically lost his mind and has decided to tear society down to prove a point basically when he's talking to harvey in the hospital when he's talking about how it's all part of the plan you know he's talking about you know truck full of soldiers gets blown up and no one no one says anything because it's all part of the plan oh, yeah that's right but but i've threatened one little mare and everyone loses their minds yeah and it also explains why he's like a pretty good planner like there's there's some well logistical mastermind logistical mastermind you could say um definitely batman's equal he's really good at you know explosives and firearms and stuff exactly, like that exactly exactly so so yeah the the idea that he was he was an iraq veteran who sort of got injured came back felt abandoned and and decided to make society look like him is interesting. I think it's an interesting one. It ties into that whole war on terror thing that is <laughs> the entire driving animus of this of this movie. Well, can you elaborate on that, Stu? How I mean, this might be in your list, but how 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 you see that? Because maybe it's just been too long. But ha- explain what you mean by the shadow of the Iraq War or the war in Afghanistan, the war on terror. Oh well, I mean, this movie came out in two thousand and eight. It's entirely about the war on terror. <laughs> like this this movie. This movie's central, like it has a lot of philosophical things to sort of explore, but it's it's big zeitgeisty driver is the war on terror, which was at that time raging in the United States. The reason this movie hit so hard, I think, is that is that it did tie in in an incredibly timely way to what was happening in the real world at that time. The Patriot Act in the United States, the you know the the actual real life questions that were being posed as to how far police states should should be allowed to to go before the terrorists have won all that sort of thing pragmatic his, decisions versus pragmatic ones. decisions versus uh idealistic ones exactly and you know the joker in this movie is explicitly a terrorist he's not always portrayed that way in the comics or the cartoons or something like that he's sometimes like more of a, a serial killery sort of thing or sometimes he's just like a bank robber but in this movie he is absolutely 100% a terrorist that's his mo he he it's holds people reason, to ransom and and yeah and he, he wants to inspire terror in the citizens of Gotham and the driving question of the movie becomes how do you respond to that and and what do you give up to do it mm. so yeah i think this this movie this movie is absolutely about the war on terror cool 
Dan, did you have something to add? Well, I, you said something before about being able to plan things out really well. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I, I always hated about this film initially was about how he goes on and on about chaos and anarchy. But in order for any of his plans to work, he'd have to have planned them like so incredibly meticulously. Sure, absolutely. I actually have written on my list, does the Joker undermine himself by, you know, stating that he's an agent of chaos with his incredible planning and attention to detail. <laughs> <laughs> like it, it always seemed to me like, because a lot of people agree with you, Stu, and have this sort of headcanon that this is the, the case that he's actually really good at planning things and that the chaos and anarchy thing is just like this, it's his talk, but it's not where he comes from. He doesn't mm. use chaos and anarchy as tools. Whenever people talked about this, it felt like an after-the-fact justification to like to let the film work well. But watching it a second time, mm. there is this fascinating scene, which I hadn't spotted before. You know where he comes in to kidnap Harvey Dent at the fundraiser? Yeah. And he grabs someone's glass of champagne out of their hand and splashes what seems like some of it, but is actually all of it, yeah. and then pretends to drink from an absolutely empty glass. Yes. And I'm like, what a really clever character moment. Something that, that Batman does the exact same thing he does, uh, later yeah. on. He does. Does he? I missed yeah. that one. I think it's before the Joker comes in. I think he's on the balcony and Rachel comes out to chat to him yeah. and he's he's thrown his um, wine over the edge because he doesn't, you know, he likes people to think that he's drinking or drunk. But he actually mm, needs but he's to be not like, actually. Yeah, he doesn't actually drink alcohol. And the, yeah, yeah you're, you're right. The Joker does the same thing, and it, it plays like a bit of a chaotic moment. But there's definitely a reading that he wants to seem like he's taken a big swig, but actually he hasn't taken anything at all. And that sort of informs. That actually fills out and makes makes quite clear what all this headcanon stuff that I was denying mm. is about. Is that's exactly what he is? Is he's crazy good at, at, at meticulously planning and being yes. absolutely yeah. sober and very sharp whilst appearing chaotic and absolutely yeah there's definitely like everyone points to his conversation with harvey in the hospital as like the proof that like oh no he's an agent of chaos he said it it's like ignoring the fact that the movie establishes multiple times that the joker will happily lie multi you know to, yes, he yes. will say whatever he needs to say to get people to do what he needs them to do he's a master manipulator he kind of tells on himself because he's pointing to everyone else saying they're all schemers you know and all this sort of thing and it's like no he's he's the schemer he's yeah. the one who has mm. you know and he's he's taking a traumatized man and convincing him to go and basically fashioning him in into a into a, a weapon yeah and and throwing him into the mix and saying yeah, oh, that's off you exactly Harvey. what he needed to hear was yeah, exactly. That it only chaos is fair. So flip that coin. Flip that coin. Yeah. And that, so yeah, it, none of that is about the Joker, and everything is about no. what he wants Harvey Dent to become. Exactly. Exactly and right. So yeah. Again, he, he's talking about being an agent of chaos. Having look, maybe you can obtain a nurse's uniform reasonably easily. <laughs> at an, you know, at a nurse, but he's also got the red wig. Like where? Did, like say he just decided to turn up at the hospital. That's fine. You might find a spare nurse's uniform hanging around somewhere, but are you going to find a red wig that looks believably <laughs> like hair? I don't think the Joker just turns up anywhere. That's no. my point. My point is he's been going, I'm an agent of chaos. I keep wanting to say chaos. Why am I doing this? I'm an idiot. <laughs> oh, that word I'm, is your nem- nemesis. My nemesis. I, I'm, I'm, uh, uh, I'm proving Dan right that one half of the Raven on team are idiots. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's Sub-average. crucially not what he said, but no. sub-average. <laughs> no, but I was doing it for comedic effect. Uh, 
but uh, yeah, I mean, the point is, is that he's able to get in and somehow rig bombs through every room in the hospital and nearby the hospital enough to make it implode when it explodes. Hmm. You know, these are not the actions of a totally demented. No, exactly. I mean, like the, the planning. Agent. Yeah, the, the planning that would have gone into the hospital demolition alone. Mm. Um, you know, would have been weeks because, I mean, like he would have had to, you know, when it's one of those things where if you start to think about it too much, it becomes almost yes, it, insane. You can't, but yeah. yeah, he somehow snuck enough like drums of gasoline into the hospital to blow up the entire building. Like, it, And how, and the other thing is how he's able to manage all these schemes. Like he must have had everything planned from the moment of that first bank robbery because he gets people to work for him, but then he makes them kill each other. Like that surely would have gotten out. Well, he, he's a master manipulator. That's the thing. And we, we see then the very first scene with him, like that incredible opening heist um, where he's basically convinced all these guys secretly to kill each other yes, and eliminate themselves. Yeah. yeah. And eventually he says, oh, no, I killed the bus driver. What bus? <laughs> well, and, and he does this wonderful little bit of physical business where he sort of stands, step, does the step, step, sort of getting out of the way, making sure he's way. not in the way of the thing, and then yeah. boom, through the through the bus comes. And then yeah, obviously, then- like, to, to speak to the planning thing, like he has, like, a yellow school bus and the, the entire heist has been timed to coincide with a procession of yellow school buses. Because obviously in Gotham, all of the school buses go in convoy every day. Sure, maybe they do. Who knows? But, like... <laughs> Very convenient. <laughs> yes. But, again, you know incredibly meticulous planning, which does not speak to chaos, although that is what the Joker represents. And and it's also, again, a decision to make people who are worse than him be less than him. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. To go, you've decided to be worse than me, and so you'll suffer by your own greed coming back to you. It's it's a catch-22 with the Joker. You can't win. Well, the, the Joker in this movie believes that everyone is as bad or worse than he is. And he operates on that assumption. Mm-hmm. And when you're dealing with career criminals, usually you're going to be proven right. Yes. And where he comes a cropper is in expanding that worldview to the entire population, saying, well, obviously everyone is like me. And the, the answer is no. Well, look, this um, comes to another point in my list, um, if I can just say. Sure. <laughs> While we're getting to that point, I just want to talk about the fairy... Um, Sophie's Choice moment. Right. Yes, yes. Uh, one of the, I think the civilian boat, because there's a civilian boat and a criminal boat. Yes. Because they need to get all the criminals out. Boaty's Choice? Boaty's Choice. <laughs> Boaty's Choice. <laughs> in the people, in the civilian one, they take a vote. And I'm pretty sure that, like, the majority of people vote to blow the other boat up. Yeah, they do. Yeah. And then they just can't bring themselves to do it. No one has the guts to actually push the button. Yes, so, exactly. Yeah. The, the, but the point is... But a nice reading of that is that the guy who decided that he was going to do it realised what that would make him. Yeah. Yes. That, that, that's always the reading I've taken. Like a, yeah. a, gener- a generous reading is that he realised the implications of... Yes, but what I'm know, saying yeah. is that three out of the 400 people on board were happy to let other people die as long as somebody else more importantly to let someone else kill them yes to let someone as long as they weren't pressing the trigger themselves they're like well i don't want to do it but i want to live and so i think in that way the joker probably was right to a degree and weirdly it's sort of the the criminal boat that are more noble because it's the wise prisoner who comes up looking very menacing (laughs) and going i'm going to take it from you you can tell them i took it from you by force but i'm going to do what we should have done 
Mm. And then he but if they it voted, the he might have been the only one who said, no, nah, don't do it. And every other person's like, yeah, fuck those guys. <laughs> <laughs> but he throws it out the window. So he actually makes a very, very bold choice, whereas the other ones just sort of can't bring themselves to do it, even though they've all gone, look, we all agree. We're all in agreement. The majority is we're all happy for other people to die. Okay. Anyway, I just found that a really interesting scene to rewatch in the light of the pandemic because. Yes. Yeah. Like, yeah. I think we've been forced to grapple and and for people who aren't maybe in where we are, which is in southeast Queensland, we're going through an Omicron surge at the moment where the borders opened in mid-September and ever since then cases have been rising. They're now approaching a peak apparently in the first week of February. It's very concerning because hospitals are obviously under pressure. Our supermarket shelves are bare. I have been to three supermarkets in the past week with absolutely no toilet paper. That whole thing is back. Uh, and... You know, I think people are, I, I saw footage of on the news last week of, of a testing queue, drive through testing queue on the south side where it was cut off. And one woman who was in her car was clearly upset because she's been, they had this incredible footage of her telling the, the security, uh, but I've, they told me to come back yesterday. I've come back twice now. I really need a test. And she's frustrated and hmm. absolutely understandably. But behind her, a couple of cars behind her is this guy driving a big like truck and he, absolutely loses his shit and starts beeping and hollering and going get out of the way and you know calling her all sorts of slurs and eventually he brings his truck up and like smashes the side of her vehicle to move her out of the way because she was obviously panicked and the security guards weren't really they were just going you've got to move on you've got to move on you've got to move on because they're stressed so everybody's stressed and this guy has just lost his shit and decided, well, I'm just going to move her out of the way. Now, apparently the police are investigating that as a hit and run, which I'm very happy about because I don't, I understand the woman was stressed and causing an issue, but literally using your giant truck to push somebody's car yes. aside. Is not great. Not cool. But it just made me think like, wow, there are, the stressful circumstances do make humans make very poor decisions now whether they're thinking clearly or whether they're you know morally compromised it, yeah it's was harvey dent in the back of her car <laughs> in that case hitting it with a big truck might have been sort of the way to go i do not know if any senior legal figures uh with half their face burnt off were in there but yeah i just thought given as Stu said that this movie was like kind of framing the war on terror and I guess maybe in the light of things like Abu Ghraib, uh, remember the prison torture in Iraq mm. that came out a few years later? I think that was out by the time this movie came out. Yeah, almost certainly. Yeah. But the, but the idea that can you just go, oh, yes, we'll dehumanise other people enough to torture them. So can you dehumanise the criminals and go, well, they made their choices to murder and steal. It's like, yeah, but not all of them would have been murderers. Like some of them might have been there on pot charges. We know how the American justice mm. system works. Like, have you really, you know? Anyway, I just thought in the light of the pandemic, it's an interesting reading to kind of see all these people squabbling and going, well, should we do this and should we do that? Given the nature of how some people are acting probably less than ideally in our current situation with shortages. And there's a lot of people who are scared, a lot of people who are, uh, you know, doing everything they've been told to do, which was to get vaccinated and stay away from big events and all this stuff and the government has possibly in some quarters not fulfilled the end of the bargain that they promised. Um, <laughs> but that aside. Um, of doing their jobs, you mean? Well, in terms doing of. Doing the jobs that we pay them to do. Yeah. Well, huh. 
certainly there's, there's been a lot of questions asked about why these rapid testing kits have not been able to be supplied plentifully to the community. I'm actually <laughs> starting to warm to this Joker fellow. <laughs> Making out all these, like, government officials. <laughs> yeah, man of the people. <laughs> Come on, who do you trust? So I, anyway, I just felt that that whole scene read very differently to the moment with all this kind of pandemic, like seeing human behavior when people are desperate. I don't know if either of you guys have been on Twitter in the last few days, but Twitter seems to be just, I mean, I know Twitter is always a bit of a swamp, but at the moment- Dude, Twitter is a hellscape right now. Yeah. It's, people are angry and desperate. I haven't checked in a while. Let me just bring it up. Oh, my eyes. <laughs> oh, my eyes. <laughs> Yeah, but you block everyone, Dan, so you probably don't have that. Which is I... a healthy, healthy move. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All, all I get is information about people who are still doing EGA graphics. <laughs> I don't even know what that Sounds is. Sounds amazing. Oh, it's wonderful. I've sort of disengaged a bit from Twitter, I think. It's still there. I still doom scroll, but I kind of let my eyes glass over and not try not to absorb as much because people are angry and frustrated and don't know what to do, and it's very... Twitter just allows people to have a, a vacuum to vent, and I, I get it. But, yeah, if we were all on that boat, would there be people on Twitter who would go, yep, I'll just detonate the – if it means me getting my rapid tests versus some yeah. criminals, like, I'll let, get, let me, I'll press the button. Anyway. Oh, look, there would be people on the boat who are like, what, 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 so what are the stakes? No stakes. No one needs to blow anyone up. I think I still want to blow them up anyway. <laughs> that's, that's Twitter. <laughs> Well, as the Joker says, no, not the Joker, as Alfred says about the Joker, some men just want to watch the world burn. Alfred is a fucking enabler. <laughs> he is in this movie. He is. He's the ultimate like enabler. Every other Batman film is like, oh, I don't really want to bury men or their sons, and they're all sort yeah. of very, oh, I don't know about this Batman malarkey. Oh, yeah. No, this, this Alfred is 100% Alfred's in. Like, you want to go out there and fuck some shit up. <laughs> Your Endure, job, Master Wayne. Wayne, Endure, is to Master really Wayne. punch people hard. Yeah. And and that whole thing about the the man in Burma that you were trying to track down. Did you eventually find him? Oh yes. Well, we just had to burn the forest down, didn't we? Okay, I get it. I get it, Alfred. I get what you're putting putting down here. I'm picking it up. You want me to go out and burn <laughs> Gotham? Yeah. Every other iteration of Batman, it's like this kid is like responsible for what he becomes. But in this one, it's like he grew up with Batman as a caretaker. No wonder he turned into a psychotic <laughs> vigilante. He does have some cute lines, though. You know, now you can not sleep in a penthouse instead of not sleeping in a mansion, etc. Back to my list. Just back on Heath Ledger, I do remember how huge this movie was at the time. Like this was, I think, maybe just before Iron Man or just up, but it's like pre now i think the the marvel movies have made big superhero things quite routine mm. and regular but this i remember this movie even more than batman begins being super yes. super hyped up this movie was the biggest film in the world and it it, it was the first comic book movie to hit a billion dollars worldwide oh, um, wow. it was not the last uh, there's been oh, quite God, a few man. since then and comic book movies have sort of taken over pop culture now but yeah i mean has there been a movie that's not a comic book movie or a james bond movie that has made over a billion dollars yeah i mean probably not i can't even think of one off the top of my head there might be one or two but not not the, oh, not the avatar 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 yeah although i mean you could out. argue that's i mean it's an original property i guess it wasn't a comic book but it's in that realm isn't it like i mean it's yeah, you, know. you, you don't get art house French, you know, relationship dramas 
getting a billion dollars worldwide. <laughs> Shipped. Yeah. You know. The man, the woman, the cook, his lover, and the vigilante killer who dresses yeah. as a rat. <laughs> Although I'd be more tempted to watch that film if that's... Uh... Money in the bank. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've kind of talked about this, but I, I just wrote, what is the Joker's deal? Um, only because I know that Stu just loves saying, he's the Joker. He doesn't have to have a deal. He's just well, the Joker. I was going to say, like, he's kind of... I mean, he, he very deliberately, and the filmmakers really latched onto this, and obviously, like, he's he's chaos. Like, he, he, he is a master manipulator, but he represents... For this movie, the forces of chaos versus law and order. He's everything that a society is afraid of, everything outside and other, which, you know, I mean, commonly, not to get too, like, up my own ass about this, but, like, Stu, that's often been the role. <laughs> you can't get up your own ass on Raven Bat, and where sure, can sure, you sure. get up? Your- In fact, yeah, our, next, our next sub podcast will just be Raven Ass, and we can all. Raven Ass. You will get right up it. Um, but I was just going to say, like, you know, it's often the role of jesters and, and clown figures and that sort of thing to stand outside of society and comment on it. And in a way, oh. like, the Joker is, like, the ultimate clown in that respect. He's, he's, he's the fool. He's the, he's he's the fool. The, the, the holy fool. The, the king the, is fool. Yeah, exactly. He's he's showing society everything it doesn't want to admit about itself and all that sort of thing. Uh, back to my list. Batman sure does get ripped up by dogs a fair bit in this movie. Yeah, a lot of lot of dog action in this one, and also like a lot of Batman like killing dogs. Um, yeah. That was my favorite bit <laughs> where he just kicks the dog off the side of the, the kicks thing. the dog down a freaking tunnel or something. <laughs> Punches dogs a lot. So that was a thing. Uh, he, I mentioned he gets his glowing eyes and his sonar in this one, which is quite he cool. He does. Um, good dogs, Brunt Man. Ah, oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. That, that is a reference to an internet meme, Natalie. I don't, yeah, I, mm. I was lost on that one. Say it again. They're good dogs, Brunt Man. Brent? Brunt? Brent. I think, I think it's Brent. It changes each time. Yeah, yeah. I don't know this meme. Okay. What can we people Google to look it up? They're good dogs. That'll probably that'll dogs. probably bring it up. Be, it's the it's that we rate dogs website. Yeah, they're good dogs. Brent, know your meme. The Twitter account we rate dogs uh, got an angry feedback uh, one time by someone saying that because they always do like you know fourteen out of ten a very good yes, boy. Yes, that's the um, point. The that's point the joke. Someone got very angry about that. Uh, not only that they were exceeding the ten out of ten scale, but that not not every dog could possibly be that good. <laughs> Um, and to, to which the, the account oh, responded, they're good dogs, Brent. Um, which obviously, you know, was latched onto and memified into oblivion. But uh, yes. a, a, quite in a quite lovely yeah. uh, tale to that story, like several years later, that guy actually bought a dog, like got a dog. Oh, really? And took a picture and sent it in to We Rate Dogs and We Rate Dogs were like, it's Brunt's dog. <laughs> Oh, I hadn't go. seen that. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's on the. It's folks. We have come full circle. This is Charlie, dog of Brant. Okay, apparently oh, his name awesome. is Brant. Brant is not a name. Your name is Brent or your name is Grant. Don't freaking sorry. Sorry to all the Brants <laughs> out there. No, no, no. Your this name is, the is thing. trash. Is it, his name um, was Brent, and the the we rate got dogs guy kept changing how his name was spelled yes. each time that he responded to him. Right. And it's like 14 out of 10, you've got a good dog, Brent. (laughs) (laughs) I see. Okay. He got a dog. Well, that's very cute. I missed that meme totally. Uh, But there you go. That's, yeah. There's always someone on Twitter who doesn't get the joke, isn't there? Mm-hmm. I've just figured that when there are things that I don't understand, I'm like, this is a joke and I just don't understand it yet. 
So I'm going to try to avoid making comments on it in case I end up looking like a damn fool. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting that, like, because some people's brains just don't attach to things. Like, apparently 10% of people just cannot pick up on sarcasm. Mm. Like, it's just, it's too high a level a thing for certain brains to be able to connect with. Higher level thing? As a language as my thing? mother, my mother tells me all the time. Well, she used to. It doesn't quite anymore. Uh, sarcasm is the lowest form of wit, Natalie. Sounds like someone who doesn't get sarcasm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, no, I think she's, <laughs> she's right, isn't she? It is. It is pretty easy to just go, "Oh, you're an idiot." Well, you're an idiot, or whatever. It's easy to do, but it's a it's a fairly high level brain function to to be able to say something, but in a tone that indicates that it's the exact opposite thing and i have met people who you will say something sarcastic and they will be like are you being serious when you are quite obviously not being serious so there are always going to be jokes on the internet that people don't get and that's fine but the weird thing is that their brains don't do that but their brains do give them the confidence to very strongly (laughs) go out and say well that's not right and just and, and be very vocally clear that they've balls it up. Mm. <laughs> the island of Gotham. Yes. Was, I don't know. It's just a logistic thing for me that all of a sudden everyone has to get on a ferry uh, to get off. Because they um, have the, the first, the Batman Begins was all about the bridges and people had to get, they were going to blow up the bridges or something. And then this one was all about yeah. ferries. So yeah, well, like, well he, he says that. He says the bridge and tunnel crowd are in for a surprise, suggesting that... You know, if you try to take a bridge or a tunnel out of Gotham, you might get blown up, which is why everyone's avoiding the bridges and the tunnels, which is why the ferries are the only real way to get off, which is exactly what the Joker wants, because he's got this whole elaborate thing planned. Right. Okay. Like, how many ferry trips do you reckon it is to get all the people in Gotham off that island? Probably lots and lots. I think there would like be lots of people lot. stuck there. Yeah. <laughs> which, again, only adds to the chaos. That's what he wants. Harvey Dent, uh, as we said, I... <laughs> Aaron Eckhart is so good in this role. He's just... He's fantastic. Because I first saw him, I think, in Aaron Brockovich, where he's kind of like grunged up as Julia Roberts' sort of heart of gold biker boyfriend. You know, it's one of those whole, oh, he looks a bit dodgy to begin with, but actually he's, you know, sweet as. He's so good looking in this role. Like whatever they've done to his hair and his suits and he's just like... For for the entire film? Yeah, yeah. Square-jawed American dreamboat. Yeah, they, they really go for that, and they even make the point: "Could you be Batman?" And they cover his face so you can see like this very square. He's got square, a he's got a chin. He's got, he's a, got a hell chin. of a chin. You know, he could be the Batman, um, and he's also you know not shy of throwing a punch in open court. So there's no point in this film where he doesn't look unattractive. Is what you're saying? Yeah, pretty much all the time. Um, with his face, though, and they, you know, because the the difference between this Two-Face and Tommy Lee Jones' Two-Face. Oh, my God. I mean, could you get a more pulp? That's a good challenge for listeners. Could, could you get a, a telling of a character so different? Like, what are the famous characters that are played? Because well, obviously I mean, Jack you could, you could also Joker yeah. and Heath Ledger's Joker. Yes, very. But they're still mad guys in purple suits. What I mean is, like, sure. Tommy Lee Jones's, you know, cackling evil villain. I mean, maybe the the – I would – 
posit that what's his name, Jim Carrey's Riddler, and the new and whatever Riddler is going to be in the Batman, yeah, going to be in the <laughs> which Batman. has been doing the rounds on Twitter this week. Uh, don't know whether you've seen that the final costume reveal sort of happened, and everyone was like, "Really? <laughs> is that the like the green sack that he's wearing? Yeah, the green sack with like a hood and like his glasses over the top of the hood and stuff. It's just bizarre." It's serial I think killer. it's great. It looks Do great. <laughs> yeah, because you know what? You know what I'd like to see when I go to the movies? Something different. Sure. For hey, sake, that's true. Show me something I've never seen before. And everyone's like, oh, but don't we want him in spandex with like question marks all over him? But like, you know, the, oh, different, but exactly the same. No, tell a new story for God's sake. Well, I think interestingly what's if happening If I see there... one more fucking sky beam, I swear <laughs> to God. What's a sky beam? Uh, sky beam, that, that's a common criticism of the Marvel movies is that they all end with a giant beam shooting into the sky. Which oh, a lot, yeah. some of them do, some of them do, not all of them, but but a lot of them, and a lot of superhero movies in general, like DC movies, also sort of. It seems to be a go-to thing where you have this giant beam shooting into the sky, and the heroes <laughs> have to stop it. It's it's a bad beam, and it has to be stopped. I just think that the new Riddler suit looks a bit. Um... It's a bit serial killery. It's obviously yeah. what they're going for. That whole uh, sort of you know zodiac killer spiral sort of thing. Yeah, I'm just trying to work out which. Yeah, I may. Yeah, I suppose Zodiac's probably the closest, but there's something baggy about him. I'm just going to my bookmarks on famous serial killers. Maybe I'm thinking of like Ted Kaczynski, Unabomber. I don't know why, because Ted Kaczynski didn't wear a sack. He famously wore a hoodie. Anyway, doesn't matter. My point about Harvey Dent is that this character is obviously very different to the Tommy Lee Jones. And it's a, yes. whereas Tommy Lee Jones, there's no backstory to why he's to, oh, there, I think there is a bit. Oh no, he, there was. He got there, shot in court. That's right. And Batman uh, well, no, no, no. He, he got he got the the comics accurate uh, acid to the face. Um, yes. From from Sal Maroni in court, uh, oh. who we sort of see in this, and and that's why it's a big fake out that scene, like because everyone everyone in the theater who knows Batman and knows and knows Two Face is kind of sitting there in that initial scene going, oh, my God, is this is this where it's going to happen? Like, because that's where it normally happens. Ah. You know, Dent is trying Sal Maroney, and it's either Sal Maroney or one of his goons sprays him with acid and, and it scars half his face. Ah. Um, and that's where it normally happens. They know that, the filmmakers, because they, they know their stuff, and they tease it. It's just there as a little fake out for people who know what's going on. That's very, very clever. See, I didn't know the comics, so, but you're right. They've subverted that. Expectation. And yeah, exactly. Instead, he punches the guy in the face, disarms him, yes. and makes a quip like an action movie hero. Because yeah. at that point, he basically is. He's he's a. Uh, he is. Yeah. He's the White Knight. Exactly. The oh. White Knight. Yeah. Oh, well, that's very. I just clever. got well, that. Kudos, Christopher Nolan. And <laughs> well done on that. It's probably what the Phantom of the Opera should have had as his destroyed face, as opposed to the very small scar that they gave Gerard <laughs> <Yes>. Butler. <laughs> Don't look at me, I'm a freak. What? You've got a bit of like, keloid scarring on your yeah, I was about to say, the, What? There are people walking around the streets of Paris at this point who have way worse faces way, than you. Have you seen how much syphilis is out there? <laughs> yeah, that's right. They I have been fucking a lot that. of it's rabbits. It's everywhere, Phantom. It's, <laughs> they call it the Spanish itch. It's everywhere. You're fine. Just what What was that? A bit of, bit of burning? Yeah, okay. That level of burn, mm. and he leaves hospital very quickly. Surely that's got to become infected. Like you can't. Yeah, walk well, I mean, he, he's not really active enough, long enough for it to become infected. He's basically he's running on adrenaline at this point. I don't know. It, infection set in pretty quickly. Uh, have you not heard of like staff? He's only out for like eight hours. Sure. Like, yeah, yeah, no. There would be pieces falling off his face. Hmm. 
but he I he really should have been like grunting like ah you know every time he spoke that should have been agony for him I'm not a maxofacial maxillofacial surgeon <laughs> so if there are any complex facial surgeons listening like if you know your stuff call in you've got our Twitter <laughs> if you think Harvey Dent could actually plausibly get through a day speaking with that face it's definitely a weird choice because they because obviously in the comics like he has a his face is scarred from acid but in this like he's he's had like a lot of the flesh of his face burned away by the petrol that was was on him when when the building exploded so it's it's a, a way more extreme version of Two-Face than we have ever really gotten before even in the comics yeah. it, it obviously is a choice but like it I feel like it's a deliberate choice to sort of indicate how far he's fallen like like they wanted it to be impactful he couldn't just sort of have a bit of like a couple of scars on the side of his face that you yeah. needed to see that this was this is a fatal wound that he's he's received like this is something that is eventually going to kill he's a dead man walking basically mm. by this point he's he's not you know at that point Harvey Dent died and Two-Face got up. Yeah. And how he got out of the hospital after the Joker left him and got into a suit. I mean, again, just lots of logistics I probably shouldn't question. But, yeah. I mean, did, a- did the Joker help him? I would have loved to have seen that scene. Yeah. Like, careful, <laughs> careful. He's, yeah, he's, a, he's oh. like, careful, you know. <laughs> oh, I got, I got a bit of you on me. Oh, look. Yeah. <laughs> Is that your earlobe? He starts to give him fashion advice. He's like, I think you started as a summer, but now I think you're more of an autumn. <laughs> And just to bring Dan back into the conversation, because we lost him briefly there. How are you, Dan? I didn't realise I was lost. <laughs> I just kept talking and you just kept cutting me off. What were you trying to say? I can't even remember now. Although I did work out a character who had a big change from their original one to the to the current one. Who's All that? All right. Uh, which is the robot from Lost in Space. <laughs> That's true. That is true. I, I don't get it. The, the, the original robot from Lost in Space was like their robot on their ship. And this yes. new one is like this evil alien robot who loses his memory and is fucking just a big set of saw blades. But who, who and likes also, weirdly, some people online want to have sex with him. Is that doesn't an, shock me. Is this, <laughs> no. an, is this a new Lost in Space series? Well, new. It's several years. There, there was, there's a, a third series just come out. But, yeah, it's been around for a while. There, oh, okay. We talked about this. We talked about this on our um, yeah. Our No Time to Die, no, not No Time to Die, um, our Die Another Day episode, because the villain in that is the is the dad in this one, and oh. he plays like an all-American astronaut-type yes, guy. Yes, yes. And I, ne- I had no idea that he was British. I'd completely forgotten that yeah, he was Toby like a, a British. Toby Steven, yeah. He's, it, like, yeah. yeah. It's a really great show. I love great it. show. All about like working together and solving problems. It's mm. fantastic. Well, we were able to work together and solve the problem of Dan just dropping out of the recording, <laughs> so... You know, who's good now? Just to finish off my list, oh, you mentioned Eric Roberts. Can Eric Roberts play a role that is not a smarmy villain? <laughs> like, has anyone ever checked? Can he do? <laughs> I mean, why would you want him to play anything else? This is the thing. When you're good at something. Him, I saw him in something else recently where he was playing a smarmy villain. Oh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I was re-watching Brooklyn Nine-Nine and he's in that. He's the, he's the mob boss in that. Yeah. He's the mob boss in that. Who's and of wife. course, he was the uh, the master in the Doctor Who uh, movie with the eighth Doctor, uh, Paul McGann. Ah, with Thinking Woman's Crumpet, Paul McGann. Indeed. Okay, well, yeah. I so, always dress for the occasion. Uh, yeah, Harvey Dent's infectious face. Um, 
Um, oh, SWAT teams. They have a lot of SWAT teams in Gotham and yet they still, they still can't really get a hold of their mob issue problems. <laughs> it's quite extraordinary. Like at the end there when Batman decides to go in and he, he's in that skyscraper using his sonar and he realises that all the clowns are actually hostages dressed up to look like they're villains but they're actually yeah. all hostages and he works that out and and then he's being pounded by SWAT teams left, right and centre. I'm like, where were you guys when, you know, the Joker was busting banks and <laughs> it's like well, Gotham I mean, is in- incredibly under-resourced but also incredibly well-resourced, uh, you know. The police are basically ineffectual in Gotham City. <laughs> And well, that's, in this that, one, they're all sort across. of evil. Some of them, yes, absolutely. In the next one, they're all goofy and idiots. Well, but in yeah, this yeah. one, like that, you can't trust any of them. And no, it's that's implied right, yeah. that they're mostly corrupt. One of the many problems with The Dark Knight Rises is that uh, it treats uh, police as unapologetically heroic. <laughs> but yes, Which is such be- a switch from this film. Oh, it is. It really is. Yeah, they, they really are the... The thick blue line. That's right. <laughs> uh, and then I guess, oh, the one thing I wanted to say was, well, I did have, I, I sometimes like to think about the, as, as Stu always says, where I draw the line. It is really <laughs> interesting to think about all the costume changes that like the Joker does in this film. Like where is he storing his swish purple suit when he's dressing up as a cop or dressing up as a nurse or dr- and like, you know, there's some explanation that oh, Bruce Wayne has to go down to his panic room or, you know, so there's some explanation of Batman. But, uh, yeah, the Joker has just always got costume changes on the Well, runway. I think that's that's actually really, it's really interesting. And it's, it's something that I think is a, a very deliberate choice on Christopher Nolan's part directing this film is that we see all those moves that Batman has to make, right? Like these movies famously treat Batman as like a real person that they're like how would this actually work what 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 would have to actually happen up to a point like there's you know these are still comic book movies even though they're they are hyper realistic but up to a point what would actually have to happen to for batman to function like what where does he get his car where does he get his gadgets where did he get his training all that sort of stuff and then on a day-to-day basis it does that as well it says like what what does he do we see all the steps that he does to to be batman the thing is all of that is happening with the joker we just don't see it, right? The movie is deliberately withholding it from us because the Joker is unknowable. Mm. Like the, the Joker is this force of, of nature, but he is doing all of that stuff that Batman's doing, perhaps even more so, but we just never see it. And the movie is deliberately not showing us that stuff. Yeah, well, that's why. He's a mystery. <laughs> He's a- no, wait, that's just, a different one. That's, I just, a different I imagine, yeah, that's a different villain. I imagine, you know, Heath Ledger's Joker kind of going, and pulling on different pairs of pants. <laughs> Well, at some point he's stolen a nurse uniform at that hospital. Yes, what I'm saying which is, is so I great, want, by the way. Speaking of uh, the Roberts family, I want a Pretty Woman style shopping montage with the Joker. <laughs> Just pretty woman-ing, womaning it. it up. I feel like he doesn't pay for stuff. True, but he could like kill all the staff and then do a bit of a change room. You just want to see him dressing up. Yeah, I do. I think that would be very funny. Like an outtake, <laughs> which we will never get because Heath Ledger died. But anyway, moving on. Uh, the final thing I wanted to say is that uh, in a really, really tenuous link, I just thought this was quite funny. Um, there's a character who's like Eric Roberts's sort of sidekick. He's, I think, he's supposed to be Italian. He, he's the one who has the dogs. The Chechen, actually. Oh, he's Chechen. Oh, sorry. He's, he's referred to as the Chechen. Oh, okay. Uh, my apologies. I don't know who the actor is, but he on Sex in the City, <laughs> played oh Charlotte's husband, Trey McDougall's Scottish cousin, who came in from Edinburgh for the wedding, 
and who Samantha thinks is really hot and wants to get under his kilt but can't understand a word he says because he's speaking in an incredibly thick accent, which is not actually that great a Scottish accent, but it's just what Americans think is a, you know, very thick Scottish accent. And I was like, I know that guy from somewhere. And then it pinged and I was like, oh, that's hilarious because obviously the Sex and the City reboot is out at the moment. (laughs) Not that he's made it back, but... uh, the um but they didn't well, go such that a popular character <laughs> yeah just, he's a one-off character but it's just funny how much like you can watch something and then all of a sudden someone pops up and you're like i know that face from somewhere his name uh, is richie costa there you go um, richie and costa. he is a british actor because I, I was so so many of these actors are yes. british <laughs> but anyway because the um the sex in the city reboot is on at the moment and a uh, quick plug i actually did a guest spot on uh deborah francis white's guilty feminist watches and just ah. like that Jeez, that was a tenuous link. (laughs) A lot of clutching at straws to get there. She was going to get it in somehow. I'm sorry. Squeeze that bastard in sideways. It's legitimate. There's a connection. But yes, but you can go to the Guilty Feminist podcast and find that episode with me talking with Deb about fun stuff that's related to and just like that slash sex in the city. Do they go off on tangents about Batman? I think it's only fair, really. I think it's only fair. I did not. But over to you, Stu. (laughs) Yes, so my list. Sorry. (laughs) Lord, it's almost tomorrow. I know. Tell me about it. So I started with a quote, and then for some reason my list just became all quotes. Oh, okay. Um, And I think I hit a lot of the high points of the film. So um, I started with, uh, who wants to see a magic trick? Because I love that scene, and I I was going to use that as an in to talk about Heath Ledger. Uh, as the Joker, but we've already discussed that at length, so I won't do that. I will just say, when I was sitting in the cinema for the first time watching that, I was vibrating with excitement because that could not have been a better introduction to this version of the character and also explains that the filmmakers get the Joker. They're they're doing a riff. This isn't the Joker that we see all the time. Like the the Joker of the animated series voiced by Mark Hamill is very much a showman. He's a, he's a, a big theatrical villain and that's often how the Joker is portrayed. So this is not that, but it's still, they were very true to the core of the thing. Still has uh, panache. He has panache. He has, he has style and he's funny. Yes. Like there's that great lie where he's, he's, one of them says to him, you think you can just steal from us and walk away? He's like, yeah, it's good. It's good stuff. I like it. He's Mm. such Um, a joker. Oh my God. I just got that. (laughs) (laughs) So the next thing item on my list was, where's Rachel? Uh, which I was going to use to talk about Rachel and also the Bale voice, which is maybe the only, like there's a couple of things that I think the film could maybe do better or could do differently. This is the one thing that I still don't like. And it's the one aspect of Christian Bale's performance as Batman that I just wish they'd done something different with. And it really comes to the fore in this movie. This is what I was remembering. I I remember we were talking in Batman Begins, Natalie, that the, the Bale voice obviously was a big thing at the time because no one had really done that version of it. But mm. I rewatched that film and I was like, you know what? It's actually not so bad. And then this movie happens where yeah. at the end, Batman's trying to have a philosophical discussion with the Joker where he's just going like, there will always be people, people like you. have just <laughs> proved to you that they're ready to believe in good yeah, like he's having to, he's he cannot like within the scene he's sort of out of breath and then he's having to force the breath to do this like growly voice. Yeah. And it just means that he's talking like a, an imbecile. You know, it's it's just it takes you out just slightly because you're like why why the voice, man? Come on. I actually didn't have any problem with the voice. Really? But whenever okay. he was Bruce Wayne, I I I 
couldn't shake, help shake the feeling that he'd just come from putting on Huey Lewis in the news and then yes. murdering yes. someone with well, an axe. You know. <laughs> That's definitely one of the performances that got him this role. And it's because Patrick Bateman wears a mask all the time. And so does Bruce Wayne in many ways. Like, you know, the, the Bruce Wayne persona that we're, that he puts forward to the world is as much a mask as the Batman mask. Um, of course, um, with Rachel, we could quickly mention that uh, obviously Maggie Gyllenhaal takes over in this role from uh, Katie Holmes. She certainly does. And she, what's the what's the verdict? I, I think she's 100% an improvement, but uh, your mileage may vary. I'm not sure. She, look, she's great. She's a very um, charismatic, I think, actor. Uh, always has been, even if she hasn't uh, fessed up as to where the scarf is. Um, if you know, you know. Uh, but <laughs> no, okay, no. <laughs> I'm going to hazard a guess that that's a Sex in a City joke. It is not. It's a Taylor Swift reference. So there you go. Yeah, uh, yep. That's that's me sticking it to. Oh, of course. I was I was sitting yeah. there going, "Hang on, scarf." I know there's a Jill and Hall scarf thing. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's the it's the yeah. It's from the song. The thing. If you know, yeah. you know. Yeah, I, it's sad that she gets you know blown up. I think it is. Yes. Yeah, that's it's good. Sad. It's good. If, yeah. if she got blown up and I and it wasn't sad, then they have not done their job properly. No, no. But what I but mean they is did their it's, job properly. It's it's sad, but it's also maybe even unex not unexpected, but like they went there, they yeah, killed yeah. a heroic character. Yeah, they fridged her good. They <laughs> did fridge her. Yeah, I thought her performance was lovely. It's very sad that she dies, but she's also kind of stringing both Bruce and Harvey Dent along a bit. No, I, I I disagree with that. I think she's pretty open with Bruce that she, she has one she, moment of weakness, yeah. which does lead him on a bit. Yeah, that that's true. But I mean, like she's she's fairly clear to him, and and she sees more clearly than he does that there is no end to what he's doing. Like he he still yes. is laboring under the misapprehension that one day he can hang up his cape and cowl and and retire, and that's not going to happen. Like like the vacuum that he leaves by getting rid of the mob is only going to be filled with people who are weirder and stranger and who are going to need a Batman to deal with them. Mm-hmm. You know, like like he's creating his own problem. And she's very careful about going, "Oh, well, you know, maybe this thing won't happen." Like she she's not like, "No, that's never going to happen." Because Women who try that in the real world get murdered. And sure, he's Batman. Like he's, we already know he's a psychopath. He's going to put on Huey Lewis in the news, and it's all over for her. <laughs> that, that's very true. But I mean, like, yeah, she has that. As you say, she has that moment of weakness. But I think she's fairly clear with him. And then it's only, a, I was going to say, a comedy of errors. But it's like, like it's only like dramatic irony that prevents her from telling him herself that she loves Harvey and is going to marry Harvey. And instead she writes it in a note that Bruce never gets to read. She, she's sometimes criticized as being a bit of a damsel in distress and, and that the, they, they killed off the love interest and there was, this was a fridging. But I think that they go out of their way to give her agency in this movie. It, like they, she's not doing anything. She is instigating a lot of the action herself. Yeah. You know, she is involved in it. She, she's one of the team and, you know, she's the one who um, happens to, pay the ultimate price for everything. Yeah. I think it's interesting. I don't know whether you caught this, Nat, and and it's hard to it's hard to catch sometimes. But when you watch the film like five hundred times, you sort of you sort of pick up on these things. But the Joker lies to Batman about where Harvey and Rachel are being kept. Yes, he, he swaps their locations. He swaps or- the he swaps the locations. Yeah. So he tells Batman that that Rachel is actually where Harvey is and vice versa, knowing that Batman will race to save Rachel and will instead find Harvey. Yes. And that's the thing. That's what Harvey holds against Batman. 
essentially. Yes. He's been as like, you should have saved her. You should have saved her. It's like, well, I was trying to. But also and- like Rachel dies assuming that Bruce chose Harvey over her. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's that added level of just, oh, knife twist. It's incredible. Would you assume that? I would just assume that. Yes, because she says, no, 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 it's all right. Like they both assume, like like Rachel and Harvey both assume that Batman is coming for her. So Harvey starts working on escaping, which is why he falls over, right? And she says, like, our friends will come for us. And, And he's like, and then Batman arrives and sees Harvey and Harvey sees Batman. And he's like, no, no, why are you here? You're supposed to be rescuing her you know like why are you here and she hears that and knows what's happened and you can see her take a moment and then say no it's okay all right it's okay and then she blows up i don't think the joker actually says she's at this address and he's at this address he he literally he literally does but he switches the addresses on him i thought he said that they're here and here are the addresses and did them in the reverse no 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 he he very specifically specifically says says she's here and he's here Mm. And but also, like, by we'll that just edit point, that bit out then. <laughs> I sound like an idiot. Wouldn't you assume that the Joker was messing with you? Like, I mean, to be fair to Batman, like that was a pretty obvious bait and switch. He should have yeah. known better. Well, he could. The, the Joker could have just picked two random addresses too. Yeah, but he also wanted, like, he was always going to tell him the addresses because he wanted to make him make the pragmatic choice. He set it up so that. He he wanted Batman to think that the Joker th- didn't think that he could get there in time. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, like this is the, the knots you tie yourself in trying to explain what's going on. But the Joker figured that Batman would assume that the Joker didn't think that he could get there in time. And, and it turns out, like, the only reason he got there on in time was because he's Batman. Like, because the cops didn't get to Rachel in time. No. So, like, he's relying on the fact that Batman will race but he, he says earlier on he goes you know i for a while there i thought you were dent because the way you threw yourself after her mm. off that roof you know like mm. so like he knows that he he knows the joker has that knowledge that that rachel specifically is special to batman whoever batman is rachel Dawes is a special person to him and so he uses that to manipulate him yes to devastating effects mm. master manipulator have we Indeed. still got Dan? Have we still got Dan? Yeah, I just tuned out a bit. Oh. <laughs> it's just my panic now. Like I haven't heard from Dan in a while. It's like, oh no, we've lost Dan again. <laughs> just another um, tool for my tool belt. Indeed. The next quote on my list was, uh, some men just want to watch the world burn, uh, yeah, sure. which was obviously- uh, Some men, they really do. They really they, do just want to really watch the world do. burn. They really some do. Some men just want to, they're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off and then the whole world burns. <laughs> I guess we, we haven't really talked much about the way this Joker in particular was adopted by pretty horrible people online as like their totemic figure. How you know, so? I, th- I think, well, I mean, like, you know, there, there, there was definitely like the, the alt-right online love Heath, Heath Ledger's Joker. Really? You know, and the Joker more generally, like they love that character, you know, like. He's anti-authoritarian. Anti-authority, like, you know, he's outside, he's, he's smiling at everyone. Yeah, because you know that what's going to happen, obviously the Joker, if he actually existed, who he's going to bond with is going to be a bunch of right-wing dickheads. (laughs) He's going to totally see your genius guys and he's going to bring you into his clever plan. Did you not just see him double-cross everyone and make them shoot Mm. each other? You're going to end up dead, you idiots. 
You're going to end up being tricked into storming some sort of national building. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Be backstabbed and exactly. thrown to the wolves. Exactly. You're going to be, you're going to end up in jail, you idiots. <laughs> God, um, did I just parallel Trump with the Joker? That, that ascribes far too much pre-planning to Trump. It really does. I mean, it does, it does signify Trump as an agent of chaos, though, because he really yeah. was. He could really throw a bomb under weird shit and just blow it up. <laughs> and he had panache. Certainly did. Yeah, in terms of style, has there been an American president with greater style than Donald <laughs> J. Trump? <laughs> Certainly none as obsessed with personal branding. I mean, he's almost yeah. Batman level of personal branding is Trump. You know, it's a good point. Trump's one of the few people. Actually, no, he's broke, isn't he? It's all smoke and mirrors. He's yeah. not actually rich enough no. to be a superhero. And look, those. <laughs> I mean, you don't want to be on the end of a Trump ring. <laughs> <laughs> the next quote on my list was, uh, you either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain, which is one of the operating statements of this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh. And then I finished off with... Uh, He's the hero Gotham deserves, but not the one it needs right now. Which is, yeah, it's an inter- it's an interesting quote that because I think it often gets misquoted, and then people respond to the misquote by saying that doesn't make any sense. But within the context of the film, it makes it makes sense. And, and yeah, so what is it? It's, it's he's the hero it needs. He's he's the hero Gotham deserves, but yes, not the one it needs right now. Needs right now, right now. yeah. It needs a Harvey Dent. It needs a Harvey yeah. Dent. It doesn't need a Batman. Yeah. Yeah. But it um, deserves but- a Batman because the, everyone's a prick and half and three quarters <laughs> of them want to blow up all the other people. <laughs> what you just said, though, about the, um, the... Die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Yeah, that's essentially like milkshake duck, isn't it? It's- I mean, a little bit, yeah. <laughs> it's, essentially, <laughs> it's essentially the rule of Twitter is like you're a hero until someone then goes through your own tweets. And yeah, then- that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> until someone finds a tweet from 2009... Where you're like, oh, I just watched Ace Ventura and I love the twist. <laughs> <laughs> yes, 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 indeed. Sorry, Stu, I cut you off there. No, 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 I was done. I mean, that, that's the end of my list too. Um, I just sort of, I just got on a quote run. No, that's <laughs> on, a, on a minute is, challenge. This is an eminently quotable movie. They they really threw in a it lot. It is, and it has been picked apart to the point where a lot of this stuff feels cliche now. But I mean, you forget, at the time, this hit like an atom bomb. Like, it really was groundbreaking. The fact that they were taking it seriously, even, even coming off the back of Batman Begins, mm. the fact that this was basically just a crime movie that happened to feature a guy who dressed like a bat. You know what I mean? Like, it's... <laughs> Like that, it sounds trite, but it but it is like this is this they play this absolutely straight. And what's more is they treat the character and all of the characters in the world on its own terms. Do you know what I mean? Like they there's so many adaptations, certainly before this movie and even even after it, where the you can tell that the filmmakers are either embarrassed or dismissive of the source material. And this movie is not that. This is a movie that that takes its source material very seriously, and works to adapt it in a way that makes sense they're changing so many things like the Heath Ledger's Joker is almost unrecognizable from the comics for example and even even um, Christian Bale's Batman is almost unrecognizable from the Batman of the comics except they're not the the core of those characters is still the same it's a fascinating movie and it's it's the, the fact that it's still like almost the definitive word on Batman in film is you know telling mm. they Remember- haven't really they haven't really topped this since. 
Remember the um the internet reaction when people found out that the foppy boy from Ten Things I Hate About You was going to yeah. be the Joker? It was yeah, hilarious. People, people I, mean, I was one of those that. people. I, I I thought he was going to be terrible. I couldn't believe they'd cast Heath Ledger. Well, he had done other things that were kind of cool, like a night. Two tale hands. And, yeah. He actually he hadn't Ned done Kelly. The thing that he was famously coming off the back of was Brokeback Mountain. That was easily the biggest thing that he'd oh, done, and, and so he's it was like, so oh, good the gay, ca- the gay. He's incredible, but but you know, a lot of people online were like, "Hang on, the gay cowboy movie? Like, what are we? What are we doing here? Like, who who is this guy?" God, that um, would be like casting this twinkly vampire in the Batman role. <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly, and that, and that was the thing. Well, that's what I quite liked about the very minor backlash to Robert Pattinson being cast as Batman was everyone just said, "Hey, guys, remember remember Heath Ledger." Like no one believed he'd be good, and he was the best. Yeah, and these guys are actors. Like, yeah, exactly. At the end of the day, and like, he, you, you I, can have people who are miscast, but I mean, like, there's yeah. What's the biggest miscast ever? Ever, guys? The biggest miscast e- person ever. Yes. Um, oh, I mean, there's. Oh, I'm sure we've talked about Nicole Kidman <laughs> as the sexy brain surgeon in Days of Thunder. Oh, good answer. <laughs> Good act. Well, good well actually, on that, on that, yeah, I was about to say Christmas Jones in uh, Die Another Day. That, uh... yeah, I mean, they're, but they're more like I'll quickly make the hot girl something. It's not so much that they cast hot women; it's just that they're so young, and the idea that Nicole Kidman, who was twenty-two when she filmed Days mm. of Thunder, yeah. could have had all of the necessary doctoral requirements completed. Do you know what I mean? Even if she was playing yeah, a few years sure. older, it just rings. Whereas, you know, Dr. Holly Goodhead in um, Moonraker, I would argue, even though I know Stu doesn't like her performance and thinks she's kind of switched off, but at least she's like age appropriate to be a nuclear f- or a rocket scientist. It's believable. Is, is she though? Isn't, isn't she quite young as well? No, she was in her 30s. Oh, yeah, I guess that tracks. So. She, she is a plank of wood though. I mean, come on. Oh, come on, Stu. <laughs> Let's not reopen these old wounds. We won't relitigate that. She's fine. Next you'll be having a go about how long Thunderball is. <laughs> I would never. This has spurred a very long tangent for uh, answers that are incorrect. Oh. <laughs> the worst casting ever is Jonathan Harker in Bram Stoker's Dracula. Oh, Keanu Reeves. Oh, Keanu Reeves Keanu. is Jonathan Harker. That's definitely up there. Holy yeah. shit. Yeah. Oh, his, his attempt at an English accent is is. Um, like legendary. Well, he's, he was also in Dangerous Liaisons, which was earlier than that. I think it was like around the Bill and Ted time. And Dangerous Liaisons is all, you know, set in Paris and it's all about rich French people who don't care about each other making horrible, you know, relationship decisions. And Keanu Reeves is like someone's young lover going, oh, I think you're awesome. <laughs> Let's get married. <laughs> I don't know if it's that bad, but yeah, I, I, yeah. But but isn't he? He's supposed to be a bit of a himbo in that in that movie, though, isn't he? Where, whereas I mean, in, maybe in, but... in Dracula, he's basically like he's meant to be Jonathan Harker, like an English gentleman, and he's coming at it with the like most theater kid like came accent. out of a bodacious tube. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure there are others. I'm sure there's others. Halle Berry as Catwoman. I don't know. I don't know if she was miscast, yeah, it's pretty, or just I it mean, was a really bad movie. This is the point. I was about to say, is, no, that, that's not necessarily miscasting. It's just it's just a bad movie. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Sometimes the movie doesn't help the actor. It, it undermines them. So I have a couple of other things that we haven't touched on yet. Sure. sure. Okay. This one I cannot stress enough. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't wear a cape on a motorcycle. <laughs> 
Certainly not if it, not if it has no wheel coverings. <laughs> that is, I, I was so freaked out watching that. It's a very cool moment, though, when he discards the car and all of a sudden he's got a bike. It's quite a big car chase. Oh, it's huge. Car flips over, helicopter crashes. And then there's that famous bit that was in all the promos for the movie was when he, he gets the well, Joker's he flips truck. flips the truck. He flips the truck. He does a funny thing through, you know, gets a rope and essentially Spider-Man's him and then, like, flips the truck. And then you've got Heath Ledger in the street going, do it, do it, I want you to hit me, I want you to hit me. And then, of course, he can't do it and uh, he screeches out of the way. So it's quite an iconic chase scene. But, yeah, it goes on a lot longer than I remember it. <laughs> I zoned out again. I remember at the cinema the first time just going, oh, is this ever going to end? And then this time I'm like watching really actively and then suddenly I'm like, oh, hang on, I've just been thinking about something completely unrelated for the last five minutes. (laughs) Action scenes can do that to me too, particularly in ones like this where it's quite dark and you can't sort of see what's happening. Or if it's really choppy, like in Quantum of Solace, when you've got like that chop, 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 and it's like, yeah. oh, I just don't If you want to watch, watch good action, Batman films are probably not where to go because it's all about dark, shadowy, undercovery type stuff. Hmm. You're not going to get like the joy of watching something like a Jackie Chan or a um, Jet Li type of fight scene. Yeah, I mean, especially like especially these movies, out. which, yeah, as you say, like they're choppy and, and de- deliberately so, but yeah, like, like the action comes from other places they're they're not not necessarily action movies weirdly yeah one other thing uh, i do wish that when they were referring to the metro crimes unit that they'd call it the metro crimes unit (laughs) and and not not the mcu MCU. (laughs) that's very distracting but this was before the mcu yeah absolutely yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. i wonder if they would still call it that if this was made after the mcu was a thing just to you know thumb their nose at the 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 competition i don't know Hey, after oh, um, after that yeah. new Doctor Strange movie, are they going to have to change it to the MCM? Maybe. Oh, because of the multiverse. Yeah. No, but it's a cinematic universe, so that's still. Well, now it'll, it'll be, be a cinematic, cinematic multiverse. multiverse. <laughs> Shut up! That's why I don't know. I can't answer that. There is an interesting question posed by the lookalike vigilantes at the beginning. Yeah, yes. they don't really yeah. come back, do they? Not oh no they, one they, of them they does as yeah, a one of them does. punching bag to the to the Joker. Uh, oh yes, he he kidnaps one of them, doesn't he? And mm. makes him do yeah. But one of them asks, "What's the difference between you and me?" And to, to which Bruce Wayne's flippant reply is, "I'm not wearing hockey pads." And if you translate that, what that says is, "I'm rich and you're not, so I'm the only one who gets to break the law." I, I would argue <laughs> that a more charitable reading of that line is that Batman is the one with not only the resources but the dedication and drive to do it. These guys are coming at the mob with hockey, with wearing wearing hockey pads and, and firing guns. They're making the problem worse, or, or they're fighting them with the with the same tools. Whereas Batman is coming at it with from more expensive tools, a different a different angle. You know, like he's mm. coming at it. The conceit of Batman is that he is the guy who has the drive and the resources to do what he does. I'm just you know? saying, and, and, if you go and out if with you hockey if, pads rather than body armor, maybe you're the real hero. <laughs> <laughs> He's basically yeah, saying you're a part-time crime, aren't you? you yeah, yeah, you're a weekend warrior. Yeah, which they are. They definitely are. But, yeah. I mean, why dress up as Batman? Like, why not? I suppose, look, I know why, because he's already an existing symbol that you can replicate to create fear. But, like, why, sure. not, why not spark other costumes like Catman or Birdman? Or... Well, in a, different, in a different type of film, maybe that would be what they went with. But obviously in this one, there's more talk again of Batman as a symbol. 
And they've obviously latched on to the idea that Batman fights crime to be like, okay, well, we'll help Batman. We'll, we'll dress as, as bats and, and fight uh, so, crime. So that, yeah, because he actually says that. He says, this wasn't what I meant when I said I yeah. wanted to inspire people. Exactly. Which is why he's like, Harvey Dent needs to inspire people because I'm just inspiring people to go go out with machine guns. Exactly, yeah. He's like, I'm, I'm not, the type yeah. of inspiration that they're taking is not what I needed them to yes. take. So yes. what can we do differently? There's a lot of things in this film I want to make fun of. And yet whenever I put any sort of, whenever I actively start to pick it apart, I realize that it's actually part of like a really intricately woven tapestry. <laughs> For it's all very its annoying. Faults, it's a pretty well-made film, you know? Yeah, it now, holds up despite all the crazy shenanigans of the Joker. Like it's I, not perfect, but you know. Now I have a theory about why people love this film so much. Mm-hmm. You ever watched The Crow? I have. It's fine. It's, it's, a, fine. it's a cute little B-grade yeah. film about an avenging angel type character. I actually character. have seen The Crow, but not for yeah. years. Real goth, real moody. It's worth yeah. renting Extremely the VHS. <laughs> then goth. there was an accident on set. Brandon Lee died tragically. Now, humans don't like tragedy. Makes mm. them feel like they don't have any control. Makes them feel like things in the universe don't matter. So everyone went into that film primed for this performance to mean something. They wanted this film to matter. Humans needed this film to matter. This pulp revenge fantasy film from 1994 has an audience score of 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. (laughs) Now, we all know about Heath Ledger, who died tragically when a stingray stabbed him through the heart. (laughs) People needed this film to mean something. Otherwise, what was the point of anything? To accept that terrible tragedy can just cut short the story of someone's life without any sense of resolution is impossible. If Heath Ledger's story climaxed with his greatest work, then at least that makes some sense. Because Mm. my story isn't done yet, so I'm safe from tragedy. It's the same instinct that makes us upset to hear that Amy Winehouse died from detoxing and then relieved to hear that she actually died from having enough alcohol in her system to send her back to black. To deny this (laughs) film's greatness is to deny our own control over our mortality. And people aren't ready for that. So they convince themselves that this movie is better than it is. That is definitely a manifesto. (laughs) Not a manifesto. I agree with the idea that... Yay, podcast over. Yeah. (laughs) I agree that there was definitely... there People were definitely primed to, to like this movie. I think that... If even if Heath Ledger had not died in the lead up to it, it would still be as well regarded as it is. Mm. Like, like I think, I think you know Heath Ledger's death added to to the, uh, I guess, the mystique of the movie. Like, like it, it definitely added something to it. But I think it, it's too well made a movie for for my for my money that that people would not have responded to it. Like this was going to be an enormous film, regardless of what happened to Heath Ledger. Do you think he would have yeah. gotten an Oscar? I don't think he would have gotten an Oscar. I'm intrigued. Nah, it's a comic book movie. What are they exactly, crazy? Exactly right. And I, it, it, I like still the, think the weird he thing might have been nominated. But Maybe. To, yeah. Like um, it's it's an incredible performance, I think. But it, it and I, I think it is worthy of an Oscar. I, I don't. Th- I don't. I, I think he deserved an Oscar. But uh, you, you're absolutely right. I think if he was alive, he would not have gotten the Oscar. the The reason he got the Oscar was because he died tragically. Because mm. the Academy does not reward films like this, even ones as good as this. Mm. Or at least it didn't used to. It still doesn't, really. Okay, here we go. In winning the Oscar, Ledger beat out Josh Brolin for Milk, Robert Downey Jr. for Tropic Thunder. Oh, gee, that would not have held up well. <laughs> Jeez. 
I mean, I think he's fantastic in that movie, but, yeah, obviously, you know, times change. Michael Shannon for Revolutionary Road. I mean, Michael Shannon deserves everything. He's great, that guy. And Philip Seymour Hoffman for Doubt. He previously lost an Oscar to Hoffman when he was nominated for Capote and Ledger was nominated for Brokeback Mountain. So there you go. Like, I I still think he would have been in with a good chance. Having not seen Milk or Revolutionary Road, I did see Doubt, I think. Or did I just see the play? No, I think I saw the film as well. Yeah, I mean, I think even if he manages to get nominated, which I don't think is even... Maybe he gets nominated, but, you know, oh, he it's definitely up in would the have been air. nominated. He definitely yeah. would have been nominated. Yeah, probably. But, I mean, does he win? I don't think so. Well, I, I th- the Oscars do this thing, and we probably should be asking our friend Tom Solinsky from Best Pickpock, who's <laughs> microscopically we, we've examined. Tom we, we very much have. <laughs> but the Oscars often do this thing where they sort of reward someone who should have gotten an Oscar for something else, and then they end up winning it. Yes, exactly, you know? yeah. So I think that the fact, I mean, Truman, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman was an excellent actor and he's great in Capote, which I have seen. Uh, but, you know, Heath Ledger was wonderful in Brokeback Mountain and mm. quite clearly could have taken that in another year. Uh, so maybe it was sort of a, I think I think he, the Oscar would have looked on him kindly for that. But having said that, I also see a, a reality where had he lived, he might not have got it or he might have been nominated but not won and then down the line he would have won kind of like Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio, you know, he would have won for something yeah, else that he yes, did. Yes, exactly. I guess so, the big question is would he have ended up being cancelled on Twitter? <laughs> <laughs> he used to get into because he used to have a bit of a argy-bargy relationship with the press in Australia anyway and I think he wound up sort of living in America full time because of that. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's such a sad, and they still don't really know what I was reading up on his death and they don't really know how he got the drugs. He was, he'd was he taken a, a bad mix of prescription drugs and they don't know really how he got them. Like some of them weren't prescribed. So, and I'm, I'm not trying to speculate or anything, but the, just the Wikipedia entry didn't seem to have a conclusive, I guess, that I, I think they know what he died from, but they're not quite sure of the circumstances of how it, mm. how it all happened, apart from obviously he that just. Was that Olsen twin? Oh, now that's she was cleared, so we better not besmirch the reputation of whichever one of the Olsons that it was. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It was one of the twins. It wasn't Elizabeth. Uh, But, yeah, it's just it's so sad because you think, like, he now would be uh, in his early 40s and he would still be absolutely in his prime. He could have been doing anything. I mean, Absolutely. do you think, Stu, do you think they would have brought him back as the Joker in the third of the trilogy? Absolutely they would have. My my God. Like the, the reason that film bends over backwards partially is because they didn't have Heath Ledger. They, they didn't have the Joker. They couldn't bring him back. I think absolutely he would have been in the third movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that, that movie is in part a response, and we'll talk about this more in the next episode, I imagine, but like that movie is is definitely at least in part, so many of the problems come because they twist themselves in knots to not have the Joker in it. It really is so sad. Like he could have, he just could have achieved so much, Heath Ledger. I mm. don't know. Yeah, he was just getting started. I mean, this was this was his mm. big thing. He, this, this was his, I mean, he'd had the breakthrough role in Brokeback Mountain. He'd been in um, uh, A well, Night's Tale a few years before. Which I did see, which I really enjoyed for oh, a it's bit a great of movie, like yeah. fun historical adventure. I never saw 10 Things I Hate About You, which is the thing that people still love him in. I've never seen that. I really should watch it. I sort of missed that when it came out. 
but yeah, so he's he doesn't have a huge film repertoire. I did see, you know what I did see though? I ended up seeing the film that he his actual last film, which was the Imaginarium oh, yeah. of Dr. Parnassus. Yes. Because it was his final film. And they got Terry Gilliam got he'd filmed about half of it. And so yeah. what Terry Gilliam got is he got Colin Farrell, Jude Law, and Johnny Depp to play mm. his role. So it becomes like this fantasizing thing where he he has a different face at certain Yeah, and, and it, it worked out almost perfectly because all of the scenes in the real world with Ledger had already been shot. Yes. And then whenever he, like, steps into, like, the fantasy world, yes, that, that yes. had yet to be shot. And so other they actors. used those, those other guys to sort of fill in for him. Yeah, and apparently they all donated their fee to his daughter. Yeah, which, which was lovely. Which is very sweet. So, yeah. So there you go. Heath Ledger. What a, gosh, it's what? 12, 13 years now since he's been gone. Like, yeah. crazy. Crazy. It's crazy. amazing to think. I mean, like, you think now about the Australian actors who are sort of massive now, and it's, it's you know, Hugh, Hugh Jackman, who was pretty big at that stage. And yeah, like, he was Wolverine. He was Wolverine. And, um, but then also, like, I mean, Chris Hemsworth is come, is, is the big guy mm. now. And you, and you think, like, does he still, I mean, he probably would still get Thor, but like, I don't know, like, the whole landscape would just be slightly different. It's one of those weird what ifs. Mm. Do we still have Dan? Yeah, I just tuned oh. out again. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, Stu, as we come to the end of the podcast, because we really should, we have been sort of ranking these, and I've totally forgotten what my ranking system has been, but I know it's <laughs> pretty much been a dead set copy of yours, except I think I kept – did I keep Mask of the Phantasm in number one instead of Batman Begins? I think you did, yeah, because I, I, I put it uh, yeah up, up top. Um, yeah. And I, was, I, I agonised a bit. Uh, well, I think I like this one better than Batman Begins, so I, I guess that would probably put it into number two for me. I've just looked at my list. I, I kept Mask of the Phantasm at the top as well. That's interesting. Oh, no, okay, then I must have put Batman Begins at the top. Yes, okay. Damn, damn. Okay, well, then I have to put this at the top. <laughs> yeah, well, I've screwed this, the pooch. This is I'll definitely put, going at the top. Okay, well, I'll put this at the top, then Batman Begins, then Mask of the Phantasm, and your, your and I'm, I'm, Dark Knight. Uh, Dark Knight. Mask, Mask of the Phantasm, Phantasm and then Batman, Batman Begins. Okay. So it's just one small change between the two of us. The rest of the list is pretty much identical. <laughs> <laughs> but let us see how we go next episode with The Dark Knight Rises. And I'm looking forward to that. Well, I'm we, looking forward to hearing Pete Booth like we, step up to just to, to I, defend So am I. So, honestly, so am I. Well, did you like this film better, Dan? Did you like The Dark Knight Rises better? Isn't that what uh, you told me I once? did. How can you justify it? I don't remember. I was just <laughs> in a good mood, I think. Also, I, I like I like the way that Bane talked like this. I thought that like I couldn't get enough of that. Really? Oh yeah, I thought that was wonderful. It's, <laughs> it's pretty much Tom Hardy's performance that makes me like he cannot be James Bond. He he cannot. <laughs> like all this talk of Tom Hardy being James Bond, I'm like, put it away, put it down, step away from the casting couch. You don't get to put Tom Hardy as James Bond. I just don't – I get that he's, you know, very popular in his own thing, but I'm like, no, take him yeah, away. No, he, he can't be the next James Bond. He's not a black woman. <laughs> <laughs> and with that controversial statement that will probably get us cancelled, thank you very much, Dan, for guesting with us uh, on The Dark Knight. You can it's find- been really fun to come on and talk about something which is actually quite good and still manage to make everyone angry about what I'm saying. <laughs> It is a skill. It's, a, it's a, <laughs> an art. You can find Dan at DNA Beast, B-E-A-S-T, uh, on Twitter. 
obviously the smart enough to know better podcast or at sc2kb on twitter you can follow them please do uh stew of course is at disco stew he doesn't need to advertise that's why i do it for him and i'm at girl clumsy if you have opinions on the dark knight please let us know call in via social media um facebook.com slash natalie's throne is where i'm posting all of these and of course a big thank you to my patrons over on patreon thank you again so much for all of your support it means a lot in this crazy and chaotic time that we continue to be living in which is insane for now we will say um see you next time for the dark knight rises and as we always like to end these batman podcasts same bat time same bat same channel, bat channel. <laughs> see everyone bye bye no 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 stop no, stop talking like that i'm batman <laughs> i gotta get up the stairs just hold on <sighs> Uh, Does I anyone have a lozenge? I finally made it to the podcast. Are we talking about me now? <laughs> no, it's all over, Batman. Oh, no. Oh, well. Damn you, Joker. <laughs> See you next time. Bye.